I would like this evening to read just three verses from the Word of God. The first is found in Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 13. Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 13. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. A further verse, please, in the first epistle of John, the first epistle of John, Chapter 4 and verse number 9. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And one final ver verse in the book of Psalms, a well-known Psalm, Psalm 32. Psalm 32 and verse 1. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. Verse 5, I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin, Selah. And we know that God will bless the public reading of his own precious word. The book of Proverbs was written by Solomon, King Solomon, that man that was noted very particularly for his wisdom. And as we read through the book of Proverbs, we find that many of these sayings that are recorded for us have a touch of eternal wisdom in them. And the verse that I have read there in chapter 28 and verse 13, he that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Here in the space of a few words, Solomon sets before us the principle of repentance. He's dealing with the matter of approach to God and the matter of dependence upon God. But he is emphasizing in this verse the necessity of repentance. We might say that that was wisdom, truly. For if there is one subject that is important to the matter of salvation, 
It is the matter of repentance. Indeed, we might truly say that apart from repentance, there can never be true salvation. Repentance is one of those things that God emphasizes as absolutely necessary before a soul can enter the joy and blessing of sins forgiven. And yet, repentance is a matter that we set aside. And particularly before ever we were saved, and for those who are not yet saved, it's a matter that we little think about, the matter of repentance. The verse tells us, he that covereth his sins shall not prosper. Instead of the matter of repentance, we are inclined, and human nature is inclined, to cover over our sins. We do that in many ways. Indeed, throughout the Bible, we have many examples of that in the Word of God. Even going back to the book of Genesis, when Cain slew his brother Abel, Cain asked the question, Where is thy brother Abel? Cain answered and said, Am I my brother's keeper? He knew all about the death of Abel. He knew all about killing his brother. But he sought to cover his sins. He sought to hide from the eye of God as he thought. The sin, the sin of the committing of his brother's death. We could give you other examples. We think of Achan, that man who stole and hid the, the treasure in his tent, sought to cover it and cover it from the eye of God. But the thing that men make the mistake about is this that the God that you and I have to deal with is not a God who can be deceived with regard to our sins. Indeed, the Word of God reminds us very clearly that all our sins are recorded. All our sins are recorded. And God has a record of those sins. We may seek to cover them, but we can never cover our sins from the eye of a holy God. God looks down and sees our sins and God keeps a divine record of those sins. The verse then goes on to tell us the true nature of repentance. You'll notice what it says. Whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. You see, the man that covers his sins thinks and considers that they are forgotten by God. They may be forgotten by the individual, but they can never be forgotten by God. And God declares he shall not prosper. He may prosper materially. He may prosper in the things that we fair to this life. But with regard to the eternal, that never-ending eternal life that belongs or is 
foreshadowed for every one of us. That life, that life will only prosper if we repent of our sins and turn to Christ for salvation. The true nature of repentance is confessing our sins and forsaking them. You see, many will confess and acknowledge their sins. But the true evidence of repentance is not only confessing our sins before God. And it's before God that is all important. That we honestly get down in God's presence and acknowledge our sins. And not only acknowledge our sins, but forsake them. There will be a definite change where there is true repentance. A change of mind, a change of heart, a change of life. Whoso confesseth and forsaketh them, listen to what the verse says, shall have mercy. You know, one of the things that is noticeable in the word of God is this. When a man is truly repentant, a woman is truly repentant, a boy or girl is truly repentant. God acts swiftly and quickly. We've only to think of the cross of Christ and think of those two men on either side of the Lord Jesus and the one who cried out in his plea and in his repentance, Lord, remember me. How quickly the Lord answered his prayer. How quickly the Lord responded to his confession. The Lord said, "Thou today shalt thou be with me in paradise. God is quick to hear and God is quick to notice where there is true repentance. And where there is true repentance, God swiftly answers. And God answers very positively in the mercy bestowed, the forgiveness experience, the salvation and new life that is given. When we turn to the epistle of John and 1 John chapter 4, verse 9, we are proceed, verse 8 precedes this and makes one of the most wonderful statements in the Bible concerning God. Verse 8 says, God is love. God is love. As we look at God and look at the record of God in the Bible, we can see very clearly that the one motivation that motivates the God of heaven is love. In verses 9 and 10, in this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. How can we see, how do we know this wondrous love of which the Bible speaks, the love of God? That love in the word of God is clearly a love that embraces all mankind. 
It's a love that reaches out and stretches to all men, women, no matter what their nature, no matter what their sins, no matter what their background. That love reaches down and reaches out. It's all embraceive for when we turn to John 3.16, we see very clearly again, John emphasizes that love. God so loved the world, the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, that door is wide open for whosoever, whosoever repents and turns to Christ. That word is very clear. When we look at this, the love of God, it was manifested toward us, but it was, re- it, 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 it was manifested toward all mankind. And you know, that's the wonder of it. For it's fallen man. It's man that is on a pathway away from God. It's on a, it is a love that reaches down to men who not only despise God, but will not bow to the word of God and bow to the ways of God. And yet God looks down upon them in mercy and God would embrace mankind and embrace them and bless them with his salvation. That word love that reaches down to mankind, it is embraceth of the world and of men of deepest sin, of all natures of sin. And yet, my dear friend, when we think of that, that love is manifested, and the wonder of it is, the objects of his love, the objects of his love. For God could have dealt with mankind in such a way that mankind would no longer exist. You can see so clearly from the Bible that God has a special interest in men and women. God has a special interest in sinners. And my dear friend, in the meeting this evening, God has a special interest in you if you're not saved. And it's God's love that would reach out to you and speak to your heart this evening. It's remarkable that God's love sent his son For that is what the verse would remind us, because that God sent his only begotten son into the world. I want you just to notice how he describes the Lord Jesus, his only begotten son. That is a term that indicates to us the uniqueness of Christ. It indicates to us the special relationship between the Father and the Son. It indicates to us the place that Christ had in the heart of God, in the bosom of God. God sent his only begotten Son. Where did he send him? He sent him into the world, this world. And he sent him knowing, knowing that men would despise him, that men would reject him, knowing 
that he would experience at the hands of men most dreadful cruelty, knowing that at the end of that life of perfect purity and holiness that men would take him, men would take him, nail him to the cross, and there upon that cross he would suffer and die. Wondrous love of God. And yet the verse goes on to say, or the verses go on to say, herein is love, not that we love God. Not that we love God. We can never bring to God a love. In fact, the very opposite is true of us. We reject, naturally, we reject. Naturally, we shy away from things that are spiritual. And naturally, we turn away from God's dear Son. But here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. What a contrast there is there. We love not God, but he loved us. He loved us. And John goes on to say, not only did he love us, but he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, our sins. That problem that stands between you and I and the God of heaven, that problem that has to be dealt with if we are ever going to experience the blessedness of heaven and the joy of sins forgiven. Sins must be dealt with. And the God of heaven, knowing that we can never deal with our own sins, because every one of us are sinners, God requires a sacrifice that is acceptable to him. And the only sacrifice that could answer to the God of heaven, the only sacrifice that could meet divine requirements, was the sacrifice of his own Dear son, his own dear son. What a difference that is. When we look at the Lord Jesus Christ, we're looking at one who was absolutely pure and holy. One who in his very birth was born in such a nature and in such a way that there was no sin in him. No sin in him. And when we look at that life, the word of God describes it so beautifully. He say, God says he's holy. He's harmless. He's undefiled. He's separate from sinners. My dear friend, this evening, if we look away to the cross of Calvary and see that one upon that center cross, that blessed one had no sin of his own. He was perfectly pure and holy. And yet the one who hangs upon that center cross willingly and in love to your soul and mine takes our place and dies under the judgment of God. 
That's the wonder of divine love. God made to meet upon him the iniquity of us all. There upon that cross, he paid sin's penalty. He paid it in full. His life was given to be a propitiation for our sins. You know, the moment a soul is saved, at that very moment, the sinner sees for the very first time that upon the cross of Calvary, upon the cross of Calvary, God's sinless Son takes our place and bears the punishment that you and I deserve. We could never pay it. We could never meet the claims of God. But the one who died upon Calvary's cross, whose precious blood was shed, meets every claim of a just and a holy God. My dear friend, God has provided in his love a way back to himself, a way that is open for the sinner to come to God. And my dear friend, the joy of the gospel message is to tell men and women there's a way back to God from the dark paths of sin. There's a door that is open and you may go in. And at Calvary's cross is where you begin when you come as a sinner to Jesus. Looking at Psalm number 32, David is the writer of that Psalm. David had sinned very grievously and for Months he had sought to cover his sin. He had sought to ignore his sin. And during those months, God's hand was heavy upon him. He could seek to hide his sin, but he couldn't cover his conscience. And there was a voice within that kept reminding him of his sin. And my dear friend, within your breast there's a voice and no matter how you seek to quiet that voice, there is only one way that that voice will be quieted. And that is the moment you trust God's only Son as your Savior. And the moment you trust him, my dear friend, David says in the psalm, day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. He was experiencing God's dealings with his soul about his sin. Day and night, that hand was heavy upon him. But when he confessed his sin, when he acknowledged what he was before the eye of God, that sin was not only removed, but his conscience was now silenced. And he had peace. He had peace with God. My dear friend, do you yearn for peace? Do you yearn for the calm and joy of sins forgiven? Listen to what, what David writes. Happy is the man. Happy is the man whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sin is covered, that is covered righteously by the blood of Christ whose sin is covered. Blessed or happy is the man whose 
transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity. What a change takes place in that moment. New life enters into the soul. And a change takes place that enables what you couldn't do before you were saved. To walk away in fellowship with God and a way that is pleasing to God. No longer to serve dead works, but my, father, uh, my friend, to serve the living and the true God. Happy indeed is the man whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sin is covered, to whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. Many of us in the car park this afternoon, we rejoice that one day in our experience, we confessed, we ceased to hide our sins and cover them up, forget them. We ceased to hide them. We confessed them, and confessing them, we forsook them. And thank God, when we forsook and were when, when we confessed our sins, we saw for the very first time that God's dear Son was all that we needed. Not no works of ours, no merit of ours. All we needed was embraced in the one who died upon the cross of Calvary. His death was sufficient to meet the claims of God. And my dear friend, it's just the same today as it was 2,000 years ago. The principle is just the same. The way of salvation is just the same. And I can tell you, dear soul, if today you were just to come to Christ, and to come as a guilty sinner confessing and forsaking your sins, the door of heaven would be open. The way of salvation would be open. The door of heaven would be open. There is an eternity, a never-ending eternity, of joy and bliss for the soul that trusts in Christ. My dear soul, I hope, I trust, that you hear God's voice speaking to you. You know, one of the things that sometimes strikes my heart is this, that the souls that are lost, the souls that have crossed that boundary line are and are under the judgment of God. They must look back to gospel meetings, some of them anyway, and remember how the gospel was proclaimed to them and how that the word of God made so clear that that salvation which God at infinite cost to himself provided, they could have availed of it. And had they but just trusted and bowed to the word of God, they would have been on the other side in the glories of heaven. My dear friend, that's the choice. It's heaven or it's hell for eternity. But thank God, God in his wondrous love would reach out to you and God would save you if only you would come. Shall we pray?
Our Father, we thank Thee for the Word of God. We thank Thee for Thy dear Son. We will never understand the depths to which He went in His sufferings upon the cross, but Thy Word assures us that He paid it all. The work is done, and we thank Thee, our Father, that there is a salvation, a salvation that is free, a salvation that is offered to every sinner who is willing to come and bow and trust him for salvation. We leave the issues with thee, Father, for we acknowledge freely salvation is of the Lord, and we commit the issues to thee in the Lord's precious and worthy name. Amen.